This podcast is brought to you by the Common Mission Project. Hello and welcome to the Common Mission Project podcast series. Joining me today is my venerable co-host, Rodrigo. Welcome, Rodrigo. Hi, Jim. How are you? Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's good to have you here for this episode. So um, as a follow-up to our previous episode, which you can find on your favorite podcast services if you'd like to go back and listen, we've had a lot of um, feedback regarding feedback in the classroom. <laughs> Very so, meta. Yeah, so, so sorry about that. It's sentence in a sentence. But we both uh, agree that this is going to be an excellent uh, next episode following our solutioneering discussion. I agree, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's interesting because it's, it's one of those disciplines that it's adjacent to many things that we are used to dealing with in the classroom, like leadership, like mentoring. But until recently, even, even the scientific literature hadn't pay, placed a lot of attention on what it means to be able to provide good feedback and also to receive it. And I right. think that finally we start to see the emergence of a body of knowledge around this very important task that should be happening in the Hacking for classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's one of those things, you know, as the students are going through every week and doing their presentations, feedback is critical because even though as a faculty member, we don't necessarily know the answer to the solution, we, we wouldn't, we are there to provide that feedback and challenge in the students. So, you know, the one thing that I'll say, and I think we all know this as being in the classroom is the flipped classroom is inherently different. I know that the experience can be a little jarring and it was for me, it can be almost every semester going into it. Um, but I've really grown to appreciate that setup and what the implications are for our students. But the flipped classroom means as faculty members, we have to show up in different ways than our traditional, uh, from our traditional lectern paradigm. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind here is that you're very rarely talking at your students in this program, at least, you know, in, in most, uh, most cases. So the, the be, to be there and be present to provide feedback and to challenge your students is one of the most important responsibilities you have in that classroom. Yeah, and I mean, this is something that it goes beyond just the hacking for, for world is what is the best way to deliver content and knowledge. And for many years, we've been lecturing and the lecture in, I mean, the origin of the word in English is literally uh, uh, standing in front of an audience so they could, uh, you could read the uh, uh, handwritten books and people could copy them, right? So to lecture uh, was to, to to deliver this one direction knowledge. And it's never been a good way of learning. And there's a ton of cognitive research there that many of our listeners might be familiarized with. So one of the beauties of a program like Hacking 4 is that by making a project uh, the centerpiece of the learning experience, we gain the opportunity to go beyond the lecture. But that does require, as you was you were mentioning, Jim, a very strong introspection for faculty that we like to hear the sound of our voice. We enjoy right, that right. process of being in front of the of the public and and uh, uh, reigning on that on that desire to be the sage in stage and instead creating this no pun intended, co-creation space where learning and knowledge can happen from the students towards the faculty and from the faculty to the students. Becoming a mentor, somebody capable of providing high quality feedback becomes way more important than becoming an expert in your field. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really great way of framing it. You know, I tell my students when I get into the classroom the first week is that I'm not here to lecture at you or to you. 
I'm here to facilitate this process so that you feel like, A, you get something out of this that you can carry with you, whether it's business creation, the rest of your academic career, professionally, uh, and, and to be there to learn from them as well. And I think it's a, it's a completely different paradigm. So that, that flipped classroom has implications that are far beyond the students coming up and presenting every week. It means a lot of different things. And in this episode, really kind of talking about that feedback loop and that feedback cycle, there are tools, and I know that we've seen them in the slideshows and, and everything that we've been providing to uh, the decks and materials for you know that have been originating with uh, BMNT and Steve Blank and a few others. But the idea here is you're not there to talk at your students. You're there to be a feedback loop and to provide insights, even though you don't know the domain. I've had plenty of times where I've had problems that I just, I, I don't know. I have to go do my own research before the, the semester starts, but that doesn't mean that I don't know the process well enough to be able to at least poke at the students and, and their and their thoughts. So uh, why don't we jump into a, a little bit of conversation here, Rodrigo? You know, there's, there's a couple of aspects of the feedback cycle, delivering feedback and receiving feedback, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and this is where things get tricky, right? So one of the biggest challenges, and this goes to students interacting with the faculty also when they go, and we'll talk later in future episodes about the discovery process, but when they go and talk with a, a, a potential beneficiaries or technologists who are working on the technology, is how do you receive good feedback? How do you become somebody who has this growth mindset capable of receiving feedback even when, when you disagree with it or where it's uncomfortable and we might discuss why feedback might be uncomfortable and then also right. uh, how do you provide good feedback? How do you uh, get better at uh, uh, expressing an opinion to uh, or, 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 or a guidance to people without offending them, without with the capability of getting through it so you can as the objective of that feedback, uh, transform the behavior in a positive way. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the thing. And, you know, we'll talk about some ideas that I have in terms of like what I recommend in terms of how to deliver feedback. But I think we're all we're all familiar with the idea of relentlessly, relentlessly direct, excuse me. Um, that really was derived from Kim Scott, that radical candor. So let's talk a little bit about about that uh, that chart we all know so well and what that really means for us in as faculty in the classroom. So Rodrigo, when you think of uh, relentlessly direct or radical candor, what are the things that come to your mind? So uh, the, the, the way that for me, uh, the, the way that I try to explain to students is I want the feedback. Uh, I would like for me the feedback that would allow me to avoid problems that will be painful later in, in, mm -hmm. in, in the process, right? And, and that means mm -hmm. that I might want to have to hear things that I don't want to hear. Uh, and then the question then becomes how that gets to be that that how how that gets to be delivered, right? And um, right. sometimes we need to know uh, that things are not going our way. If you go to the cardiologist and he has bad news for you, the reason why you want those bad news is because you want to be able to act on them to get the right medicine to uh, make the lifestyle changes that you need to do. That's radical candor, right? I want my right. my my cardiologist to tell me what he's seeing in that chart with humanity, understanding that he might be delivering bad news with 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 empathy, so so he can uh, or she can. Uh, 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 understand the pain that I might be going through as that news is delivered, but at the same time with realism uh, and clarity, so that becomes actionable. Providing feedback doesn't have to be as bad as getting a bad new bad news on at the cardiologist, but it should have the same tone of uh, let me tell you what needs to be challenged, what needs to change, but also let me show that I care about you 
and that you are important and that this feedback that I'm providing, I'm providing it from a position. I know it's a, it almost sounds corny, right? But a position of love and care and not of right, a, yeah. a, a position of aggression, aggression and, 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 and judgmental sanctimonious behavior. Right. Right. And I think that's really important that is that when you're there, you have to, you have to be direct. There's, there's absolutely no question about that. You have to poke holes in the way that th students are doing things. And I think, you know, for me in the classroom, I'm much more direct and I will be, and again, this is my style. The first eight weeks or we have a longer semesters where I teach is that I will stop them. They're working on the MMC and they're going through something and I'll bring up a canvas on my, on my notepad and ask them like, whoa, whoa hold on a second. You're, can you describe the key partner box versus the beneficiary box? Can you tell me why you have those individuals there? And it's not because I know the answer, but I really want to see how the students are thinking about things. And I want to, I want to kind of keep them on their toes a little bit as they're kind of early on in the process so that they're, they're knowing that, Hey, I'm paying attention and I care about the work they're doing, because let's, let's be honest, it's a tremendous amount of work the students are undertaking to, to be do well in this class. But the other thing there is that how are they understanding the pedagogy? How are you delivering that pedagogy? How are they using the canvases and asking those questions? Are you seeing disparities between, you know, they're presenting in week, you know, nine, 10, uh, VPCs that have different products and services, for example, and ask them, well, wait a second, where are you going with this? Can you describe how that relates to your MVP and what your, what the customer's words, the beneficiary's words were here. So with being, with being uh, relentlessly direct is that you're not being mean. I want to be very clear about that. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a space for meanness in the classroom. Uh, but what you are doing is you're challenging the students whether they're thinking and approaching things, because if you don't, then you do run risks of solutioneering. You do run risks of, of any number of different issues that we've all experienced in the classroom. So very important that you're present for their presentations. Now, I'm not advocating that you interrupt your students or saying that you do provide feedback at the end of every presentation, but you have to provide feedback. You don't need to know the answers. And I would actually probably speculate that most of us don't. But if you are not asking those questions and poking holes in every single thing that they're doing in a very kind but direct manner, the students are not going to get the, the outcomes that they need to to walk away from this class with their held, their head held high. Yeah, one one book that I'll, I'll recommend to our listeners, and we, maybe we can put it on the show notes, is Thanks for the Feedback by Stone Douglas and Hel Helen and Shelley. Uh, and um, one quote that I really like from the book is, uh, uh, receiving feedback sits at the intersection of two needs, our drive to learn and our longing for acceptance. Right. And this is the challenge that we have as mentors, as instructors, that receiving feedback doesn't happen on a vacuum. It's not just about the project. You'll be judging you'll be providing a, a, a assessment of the identity of the group and the individual that is receiving the feedback. And that is challenging. Right. We all look for acceptance, sure. especially when we're working hard and it's hard when you don't get it. Right. And at the same time, we have to be very careful to signal that uh, a, a feedback that means that things have to change is not at all a, a, a evaluation of the individual. And as this, this very basic idea that anybody who has been a parent or uh, has had good friends and has had to give a, a, a feedback, uh, it, it's incredible how easy it is to forget and to yeah. not pay attention to. And what the literature has shown is that very frequently poor feedback can be poor either because we are trying to be too empathic and therefore we fail to the to deliver that radical candor that we were discussing that it's necessary mm -hmm. to in, enact transformations, but also the opposite, that we are so harsh, even though the, maybe the subject of the feedback is appropriate, 
that the person receiving the free feedback just feels uh, attacked, uh, closes the shell and ignores the feedback. We all had this bad high school or college professor, maybe maybe even graduate school, I hope that's not the case, in which uh, uh, the comments at the margins were so uh, so mean that the only thing you remember from that class was the bad experience and the opportunity for transform tra transformation was was missed at that moment. Yeah, and I think those are really important points. Is that you know I, I'll go ahead and say it. Don't be a jerk. It's uh you know yep. it sounds That's, funny. It seemed like a good principle. Yeah. It, but, you know, that that means that, you know, if you if you're coddling a student team and, and, you know, saying that they're not really pulling their weight or they're not, you know, they come in the class two weeks in a row and the group of five has done one interview and saying, oh, it's OK, you know, you're it's you'll, you'll get there. And no, you have to ask questions like, can you describe what your process looks like here? What are you sending out? You know, one example I give my students and uh, is uh, a job search. So uh, let's talk about that from like a discovery perspective um, for a second. So when I give feedback and they come in with like, you know, not enough interviews, uh, not, not, not enough discovery sessions, I'll say, here's my example. And I've, I'll say it multiple times a semester. You're applying for a job, you know, you're by getting ready to graduate from university and you're going to look for your first role outside of, outside of school. If you apply to one job, and you're expecting maybe 10% of you know, of these companies to get back to you, 10% of one is not a response. But if you're getting 10% from 100, now you have an opportunity there to kind of say, okay, I've got a chance, I'm getting my foot in the door. And the same thing here goes with feedback when you're, for, in, in this case, about discovery is that if you send five emails and you're expecting to get them all back, it's not gonna happen. It very rarely, it, you know, we know that engagement, people are busy, things get lost in their emails. But if you send out 100 emails and you get 10% back from that, now you're talking, you're building this snowball effect of, of, of people that the students can potentially talk to. So, you know, kind of providing feedback like that and asking and then and asking the real question, well, can you describe what's going on? And they'll say, you know, the sponsor is just not responding and I could use some help with that. And, and asking them to be very candid with what's going on with their experience, because it's not just about the canvases and the outcomes here. It's also what they're experiencing as they're going through the program. So ask those kind of questions when you're providing the feedback. Because you also, we also as educators, excuse me, really do need to be, you know, on top of these things because it, it can get to a point where things are too late if you're not asking questions. Can you describe to me why? What made you think this? Where, where did you derive this from? And challenge them and say, you know, I don't think this person's a key partner. And let them tell you why they think they are. And sometimes they'll do it even though I think it is a key partner, for example, uh, and, and see what their thoughts are just to have them validate that and tell me, no, you know, uh, Jim, it's, it's, this is why I had this person here. Oh, okay, so you've thought this through. And what you find is that when you're providing feedback like that, the students start to hear your voice in their head and they're asking these questions themselves before they get to the presentation. And I think that's a, a really good way of being able to say that, yeah, they, they're, they're listening and I'm, I've been direct, but I'm also helping them go in a good direction. That's what some of the things that I've noticed when you're you're providing good feedback as they start to hear that you know your your voice in their head about what it is that they're doing and why. Yeah, it takes two to feedback, right? So uh, and in that in that regard, there is a person delivering the feedback and there is a person receiving it. And everything that you mentioned, I think, is is correct and it has to do with this personal evaluation. Uh, uh, also from the same from the same book I already mentioned from thanks uh, 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 from thanks for the feedback. Uh, the the authors identified uh, through multiple uh, uh, surveys and, and research what they call triggers that that end up creating bad 
reception, right? This is this this is the things that end up injecting noise into into the feedback delivery, right? So mm-hmm. as we are providing feedback and we're being relentless about being honest about what we see, uh, we should be very careful about these specific triggers, right? And the triggers that they identified was truth triggers, relationship triggers, and identity triggers, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important uh, as we're providing feedback to understand that whenever we provide feedback, we might receive a, a defensive response from the other side. And instead of judging them and getting angry with them, it might be interesting to ask, okay, which of these triggers I touched, right? What 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 went wrong in the delivery and how can I correct it as the mentor of this team or this individual? The truth triggers are very evident, right? It's when, when the things right. are not true or they feel like also, as untrue for, for that individual and then they feel that your vision of the world and theirs is not the same. Relationship triggers have more to do about who's the person delivering it. Is this is this a person I trust? I uh, have I built the trust so I can tell you, this, you. We know this. We take stuff from good close friends and family that we'll never take from anybody else, right? Because we have right. built that trust mechanism and we believe that they have your best interests, right? And sometimes as a faculty, you have to be very careful uh, to know that there are things that you can you can talk about and maybe some others you are not the best person to be delivering that information. And then the final one, which is probably the most complicated in this case, is the identity trigger uh, in which your your uh, your feedback will be going at the core of what this person considers to be uh, he or her, his or her sense of self, right? And, right. and by questioning something about the project, what that person will be listening or hearing is a question about their own personal identity. We need to avoid all of that. And we also need to find that when we have delivered feedback and it came with some of these triggers, uh, how can we then adapt our delivery uh, to remove that noise from the delivery of the feedback itself? Right. And I think that's really, and that's really important. So there's got to be, you've got to be very self-aware when you're in the classroom, right? The students will pick up on if you're having a bad day or if you've, you know, whatever is going on, the coffee wasn't hot this morning, you got a flat tire, whatever. And you have to be very cognizant of how things are being delivered. And, you know, students will take your feedback personally because they're putting their hearts into this, these projects. So you have to know that this is not just a, you know, reading out of a textbook and I, and, and the students are, oh, I failed a quiz. No, this is, I've spent hours trying to do this and I'm not in the right place. So again, in the back, not in the back of your mind, in the forefront of your mind, when you're delivering this feedback to your students, you've got to keep in mind that they are taking this very seriously. I'd say 95% of the time. And, and if they're not, that becomes a different conversation. Do you uh, take a student aside and say, instead of doing it in front of the whole classroom, you know, you have to use those other tools that you have to be able to, to, to evaluate what's going on in the classroom. So you know, be careful what you say and how you say it, because, you know, the students, they they're working hard. And if you're not able to kind of be introspective as you're going through this or even to able to apologize, if you do something that's incorrect and, and be a bigger person here, you're not you're doing your student teams a disservice. So it's very important to kind of keep those things in mind. As, as mentors, especially in flipped classroom environments, we should approach feedback with the same level of discipline, rigor, and methodology that we approach making a lead review or putting together a proposal, right? So it's it's it, it requires the same level of uh, uh, planning and introspection. And we don't do that, right? We write it on the margins. 
literally speaking, right? We take a project and we take the red right, pencil right. and or the red ink and we go there. And it shouldn't be the case, right? In fact, in a hacking for classroom, the most important thing that you'll do as a professor, as an instructor, is going to be to provide effective feedback. It is through the interaction of the actions of the team and the feedback of the instructor's team uh, that you'll end up having the learning experience. It's not through lectures. It's not going to be through reading. Everything else, they can get it on YouTube, right? So they they can right. find a nice uh, Steve Blank or a Rice video on value proposition, right? So ultimately, what makes this class different is this dance between the production of the canvas through the discovery process and then the feedback that they should receive by from the from the faculty team that should help them guide and calibrate good performance and 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 uh, a bad performance and this is why it's so important to uh, uh, make sure that we deliver that uh, appropriately now there is the other flip of the coin which is how to receive feedback what should students be doing and i think it's as important to be good at receiving feedback as it is delivering it yeah and, you know, that's a good recommendation. So one of the things that I always re recommend to the students is have somebody to take notes, you know, and I also take notes and I want to see what's going to end up happening. Did they make the changes that I request uh, from a week to week basis? I think it's really important that, you know, are they paying attention? Is there situation awareness what they're doing? Are they are they not making the same the same mistake twice? You know, they, the spelling errors, whatever they call a marina soldier, these kind of things like we, we, we want to be paying attention to that. But I think it's also, you know, one of the, the things before we get into our best practices is, you know, Rodrigo had brought up a couple of things. There's three types of feedback. And I think it's important here that we touch on those. And that calls into appreciation. So a thanks coaching, you know, there's other better ways to do it. And then that evaluation, here's where you stand. And I think relentlessly direct encompasses all of those. I will always, unless there's a reason otherwise, tell the students, I appreciate the work that's going into this. And I appreciate that you're having struggles. How can I help you? I'm here to listen. And I... You know, my university, we have a Slack channel between faculty and students. I get hit up all the time for those things, and I try to make myself available as possible. Um, you know, if they need me to, you know, come in and talk to somebody, I do that. And, you know, and then the evaluation part is just as equally important. So I think you have to have, like, these this three-legged stool of approach here to make sure that we're helping put the students on the right path. Because, again, we don't know the domain like they're going to by the end of the semester. I, I mean, most of us. I think there's obviously problems that we get that are in our wheelhouse. But... You know, if I have a problem in, in drone uh, piloting, I, I don't know anything about drones. So I, the students are going to end up knowing better than I do. But I know the process and I can guide them through that in a way that does not diminish their enthusiasm and helps build them up throughout the course of the semester. Yeah, I, I mean, in, in a perfect scenario, there's people and that that's something we should all aim for that can take good experience even out of the worst feedback possible. Right. So and, and I, I admire those individuals and I hope that uh, our students can be that resilient, that even when you get the worst kind of uh, uh, blunt, ill-conceived, poorly presented feedback, you still can peel the onion and learn from it. That's that's right. wisdom. Right. And, and and I hope that we're doing our part for our students to to be there. But now uh, uh, we, we, we don't control how we receive feedback. We control what we do with what we receive. This is as true for, it's a truism of life as much as it is a a, a, a good 
a principle for hacking for. Uh, so for our students, I would say, hopefully you'll receive good feedback from your faculty uh, team. Uh, that's our objective. And here at the Common Mission Project, we're trying to work hard with the faculty. So we all work together in this direction. But it might be that during that experience, you might get bad feedback from them or from the beneficiaries or somebody in the right. sponsoring team tells you that what you're doing is, is garbage, right? And, and then the challenge becomes, okay, whatever the way it came to me, can I reframe this in a way that I can still learn from that? And that's the challenge uh, for the student, but therefore it's also a challenge for the faculty member to teach students some of this resiliency. So when bad feedback comes, they can take that one and still make with lemons lemonade, right? Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I, you know, oftentimes, you know, sometimes sponsors will say, I want you to do this. And it's it's the, the students will come and I've, I've had these meetings frequently with students before or after class. To, well, this is what they're telling us. And they're, they're telling us to do this and telling us to do that. And that's where that coaching kind of comes in and that and that empathy comes in where you can. OK, I hear what you're saying. And sometimes there's a you know, there's interventions need to happen, but whatever. But it's being able to have the students listen for the sake of listening, right? Not because they want to respond and being able to soak that information back in and, and then how are they going to apply it in that space? So I think it's really important that as as you progress throughout the semester that you are there and poking holes in things, but doing it in a way that builds up builds them up and doesn't cut them off at the knees. Because the last thing you want to do is because of you know you're being ruinous or you're being manipulative or any of those other things that exist in that in that that quad chart is that students lose their confidence in not only the class, but in the feedback you're giving to them. And it's, it's very important to have that collaborative relationship in the classroom, which again, makes the whole flipped classroom paradigm very different than a lot of faculty are typically used to by being at the lectern. So one of the things we avoid with, with lecturing is having a conversation, right? right? Because we are presenting a class, a flipped classroom. It's, a, it's human interaction. Right. Yeah. It's, it's back and forth and like human interactions are is complicated because human interactions are complicated because us shave monkeys are complicated so <laughs> uh, in that in that regard uh, it's really important to understand that when we deliver feedback we're not programming a computer we're treating we're dealing with human beings and when we're receiving right. feedback the person giving that feedback to us also is not just a a a, a algorithmic evaluator. It's a human being with flesh and blood, with biases and shortcomings and human mistakes. And in right. that flawed space between the person delivering feedback and the person receiving it, there's wisdom and knowledge and experience and all of that together. Uh, ultimately, the goal of those providing feedback should be to try to clean as much as possible the signal from the noise and be empathic of the weights being received without uh, uh, pulling any punches, while the job for those receiving feedback is to be able to accept the feedback, even when it's triggering you, uh, quite literally, uh, mm -hmm. and, and be able to remove yourself from the trigger to see what's there for you to learn. Hopefully that dance happens in a way that good friendships are formed, and at the end of the Hacking for program, uh, you have a friend for life in your student or in your mentor. That's that's the ultimate goal of relentless feedback is that you will be building trust. So 20 years into the future, I haven't been teaching for that long, but I have been teaching for now for more than 10 years, and I'll have students that 
10 years later, 12 years later, will be still calling me and telling me what they're doing with the amazing uh, experiences that they had in the classroom at the time. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's a hallmark of a great educator, and this is how this program is so impactful to our students. So um, let's let's jump into some of our ideas for best practices, Rodrigo. So one of the ones that I thought of as we were preparing for this episode was feedback for one team is applicable to every team. And are your students engaging in the feedback process? What I mean is when I'm giving feedback on a canvas, for example, it's going to be very rare that it's only applicable to that one team. So it's making sure that the students that are not presenting are being present in there and then also participating in the feedback process. So, you know, maybe early on, it's just you and your teaching team, but as it goes on, are the students paying attention to their peers and, and providing that? So again, feedback for one team is applicable to every team. Yep. And this this has also a, a corollary, which is what it's not applicable to everybody should be then delivered in private, right? Right. Uh, there is a reason why we do this in public is because of, precisely as you said, uh, there is knowledge that everybody will benefit from. I, I encourage students to pay as much attention to the feedback provided to other teams and the struggles because it might be that it's not applicable for them right now, but it might be in the future. We're trying to build general, generalizable knowledge. But if there is something that really needs to be discussed in private, well, discuss it in private, right? So things that really will not benefit the others in the group mean that uh, means that uh, it, it, it's probably better to do. And this basically has to do with the identity triggers that we discussed before, or mm -hmm. issues regarding performance uh, at the at the individual level, right? And and those things right. probably uh, are better better discussed in private. Other than that, yeah, consider consider the delivery of feedback a a group activity that benefits everybody not just those receiving it absolutely so the next one uh, that we we kind of prepared was be critical but be helpful but only to an extent so this kind of goes back to that idea of if are you emailing one person or are you emailing 50 uh what are you doing here how are you organizing are you being responsive to your sponsors are they being responsive to you so you have to be making sure that you're providing guidance along the way uh, with this process so but you can't do the work for them and this is kind of what my point is is that you know, you can provide your network, you know, the sponsors have provided cleared contacts. You can only do so much. And if the students, again, are not putting in that effort, there's only so much that you can do here. And this is one of the things I do at the beginning of class. Uh, the first the first class is talk about these things is that they're going to have to put effort in that exists outside of the classroom. And you're going to have to be critical on those things. And they're saying, hey, we got two interviews and asking why. Now, again, you want to be you. There's ways of framing it, but you have to be critical of the work they're doing or hey, why didn't you update this when it was also incorrect last week? And that, again, goes back to you being present in the classroom for them. So be critical, but be helpful. Correct. And again, I mean, I, this goes to the principles of feedback, right? Being, being critical without offering a path forward is not being a mentor, it's being a, it's being a jerk, right? So right. your job here is to help students grow it's not about the project, right? How many times we have said that in the classroom, right? It's not about right. the projects. We're not here to come up with a product. This is not Y Combinator, right? So what we're doing here is to try to help students grow both in their knowledge of the subject matter, but more importantly, in their executive skills so they are better at their careers later in life and they will remember that moment that they went through the Hacking for program as the critical moment where they acquired these fantastic uh, competencies that made them better uh, later. 
And they will not do that if the only thing you are doing is, is, is bringing them down without a path forward. Uh, this is true, by the way, in everything that we do as faculty, from, from providing feedback on a bad quiz to right, uh, yeah. advising a, a thesis or a dissertation, right? Uh, the, the, the mentoring is not complete if the path forward is not part of the feedback being provided. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the another one we kind of touched on a little bit, but encourage students to take notes on your feedback uh, and take them yourself. This is one of those things that from week to week, you know, you need to make sure that you're staying on top of what it is that you're saying and what the students are doing so that if you're seeing updates aren't happening, you can ask why. Hey, you know, we talked about this last week. Can you discuss why this wasn't done or being able to do it in a constructive way? So if you're seeing patterns of behavior that maybe you want to mitigate in, in a private setting or that maybe uh, advantageous for the entire, uh, the, all the groups that you have in the classroom. So make sure that you are there and paying attention and providing that kind of by taking notes and following up with those things as the as the course progresses. Yes, and I mean here is the the, the biggest the biggest issue, right? Which is be present. Uh, this yeah. goes to exactly what you what you mentioned right now. Uh, it's hard. I, I would say that this is the hardest advice that we might be giving in this podcast because we know the workloads that a lot of the professors, instructors who are teaching these classes have. We're busy. We're very busy. Right. Uh, there's many things that we're dealing with. The job of a faculty member, it's a very fragmented job with m multiple projects, thesis students to deal with, administration, preparing your classes. So it's very easy uh, to devalue the importance of uh, being present beyond just that uh, hour in the classroom, right? Or two hour and a half in the classroom. And the reality is that a class like Hacking 4 requires your the totality of your CPU present uh, yeah. uh, for the students and making yourself available. You were mentioning that before. Uh, because they'll need you. If you're not hearing from them, if they're not asking questions, if they're not struggling, uh, then learning is not taking place. So uh, this is very important. We flip the classroom by offloading all of the content uh, uh, to a YouTube presentation or to a book or to a reading precisely so we can be there for them uh, with all of, all of our knowledge, uh, all of our experiences teaching these classes multiple times, uh, and they need us. So, so that's that's probably the hardest thing to do, but one of the most important. Absolutely. So, next one is is something we've already talked about: is don't be a jerk. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, can kind of say it a little tongue in cheek, but that, I think there, I think there's a lot of truth to that, and that's probably just a good life lesson in general. But most of us do not or will not know the problem domain as well as the students eventually do. Uh, do excuse me. Challenge them. Question what they're doing. Find out why they are thinking what they're thinking, but do so in a way that is not ruinous to the work that they are doing. So, again. Don't be a jerk. It's just good general advice. Yep. yep. It, it's good for life. Yeah. We talked a little bit before already, uh, uh, so I won't say much more. But yeah, it is It is so surprising how far good relations go when you have the, 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 the uh, best intentions in, 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 in the relationship. Right. Right. Exactly. And then the last one I wanted to talk to, and we've already kind of talked about this a few times, is the flipped classroom requires us to be present. You cannot be in the passenger asleep, uh, seat uh, asleep while you're in this classroom. You've got to be driving. You've got to be paying attention. You've got to be present because if you're not there to poke holes in things and ask questions and challenge assumptions and figure out why students are going down a certain path, you're you're doing a disservice to those students. And I think it's a, it's, it's a different paradigm again than being behind the lectern. So. You have to be present. It's it's the different type of modality, and I think that's what makes this class 
so special and so unique. Correct. Yeah, I agree. So just want to say thank you again to the Common Mission Project for the support of this podcast. The Common Mission Project has demonstrated that students can tackle some of the toughest government problems and in doing so create vibrant and diverse ecosystems where government, academia, and industry build partnerships around problems, prototypes, and solutions to urgent challenges facing our nation. Thanks, Rodrigo. Thank you so much, Jim.